Hello everyone, welcome back to the Early Education Show. We're here with episode 56. I'm Liam. I'm Lisa. Hey Lisa, how are you going? No Leanne again I'm this week. I'm good. I know, is she still away? I think she is. Is she still in New York? Is that the general I'm, consensus? Look, I don't know and I don't know if her permission slip you know, actually gave her this much time off. So I know, I don't remember approving this much leave but she's taking it anyway. But guess what? What? You already know this, but our, our <laughs> listeners don't. You and I mucked up while she was alive. Very mischievous. Do you want to? <laughs> do you want to run through it, Lisa? No, I think you should. <laughs> well, can I just firstly say? I mean, we 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 do less of a news list this year, just because I think uh, it's it's a too depressing, and b we're, we're we're not particularly in the mood to keep up with all the nonsense that's happening in the news. Can I just say, obviously, the most important news this week, and I know you'll back me up on this, Lisa, is that um after a really really long wait, um they've finally uh, released the new Doctor Who logo. So you know, really exciting stuff. Um. Yeah. 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 It's... Okay. I'm totally with you there. Obviously, very exciting. Obviously, it's Doctor so it's Who modern, has a logo. It's fresh. You know, that's exactly what my wife said when I gave her this news as well. So, um, <laughs> you know, shame on you both for not knowing this news. I can't believe you didn't have a Twitter alert set up for this very, uh, this very occurrence. But yes, absolutely. I will include a link in the show notes. And right-thinking listeners will be as excited as I am by this. It's very modern, very fresh, very exciting stuff. <laughs> but no, I think what you may have been referring to, Lisa, was um, a publication we've both been involved in. Certainly, you more than yes, me. It but was. Um, really quick background: we so obviously I've mentioned a few times on the podcast before. I work for Northside Community Service, um, particularly in the children's services uh, area of that organisation. We're a not-for-profit organisation in the ACT and have four. Uh, have we uh, operate for early childhood centres? Um, and so we're and this has actually been a really critical point for me. I know uh, you know the three of us on the podcast have spent a really long time advocating against uh, the Jobs for Families package, what is now the new childcare package, and that came particularly for me, and not to not to discount either you or Leanne's uh, advocacy as as uh, either, because I know particularly at the start you were both um, working for an early childhood organisation, but you know for me. Uh, I'll have to be involved in implementing this in, in my organisation. I'll have to somehow figure out uh, with Suffer. my yes, yeah, thanks, Lisa. With um, I'll have to figure out with my you know uh, esteemed, much smarter colleagues than myself how to actually operate in this new system. So, one of the things we wanted to do was um, bring in some uh, some fantastic, uh, incredible, genius, you know, the brightest, the best, and the brightest consultants. So you got the department in. No, I was going to say they weren't available. No, they weren't available, Lisa, so we got you in. But um, no, not true at all. We uh, obviously (laughs) approached Lisa and another uh, friend of the podcast, um, Carl, who's been on two or three times now, I think, to come in and and spend uh, two days with us in the end, just sort of looking at what was happening at Northside, how prepared we were for the package and some recommendations uh, about what we should should be thinking about planning and uh, sort of even doing before July. Uh, it was a fantastic report, so thanks again to Lisa and Carl for, for giving that to Northside. But when we received the report, we kind of thought, you know, this is actually something that would be useful for the entire sector. Uh, so what we've done is Lisa and Carl have very kindly done some extra editing and writing work to to bring the document into a sort of more general form, taking out the North Science specific recommendations and adding some more general sector ones. And we've we've published that as as a document. Um, we are selling it, so it is, but I think at a fairly low price of you know twenty five bucks, which isn't too bad for a for a pretty pretty good um you know forty roughly forty page document that will give you some really uh you know 
um, concrete steps and, and and tips to to be getting on uh, with the thing and um, and you know and, and a lot of that's just around you know Lisa and Carl's time particularly in putting together the document and and Northside's time in designing and producing it. But um, we look, we we really hope this is something that will be a value to the sector. Uh, you can you can find the document by heading to uh, northside.asn that's an n for Nelly, .au forward slash getting started, which is the title of the document. Uh, but you know, Lisa, anything you'd be still want no, to No, it's getting ready. Oh Get my it together. God. It's getting ready. I don't even know. Look, we've literally hit publish on this thing today. It's been a whirlwind day of publishing and sharing, but it is. Let's say that again so I get it right. Northside.asn.au forward slash getting ready. And I think the important thing is um, the subtitle to the Getting Ready. It says the easy but unofficial guide to what your service needs to do before the new childcare package starts in July. Um, One of the things why I was happy to be involved with this is that I've been involved in preparing stuff for the sector, especially the New South Wales sector, about changes like this every other time that they've happened, um, mostly through the professional support coordinators when they existed. Um, uh, And, you know, basically I think one of the things that we used to do was translate complex government kind of information into an easier language and also just to sort out the guff. So to get to the nub of things, what do you really need to, to know about the new package? What do you need to do about the new package? And so that's what we've tried to do here. Um, in the lack of PSCs or anyone else to guide you other than the department, we've kind of tried to step into that role a bit. Yeah, which, you know, um, full credit to, to you, Lisa. And um, we're, you know, as an organisation, we're obviously really happy to put it out, I pointed out in a in a post on uh, some, on something I was chatting with someone about. I do find it somewhat ironic that you know Northside was one of the few sort of early childhood organisations who submitted to every Senate inquiry on this issue and every uh, possible you know uh, piece of consultation on this, with the very clear view that the package was really bad and the legislation should not be passed. Uh, while you know a fair number of organisations who, although with some minor reservations, supported the package, uh, that we are the ones pr- publishing this report, and not you know potentially one of those organisations might not feel a little uh, guilty about that support and wouldn't want to put something out to the sector. But there it is, we're putting it out, uh, and look, maybe one of those orgs will put something out later. I probably won't hold my breath though. Can I just also point out, um, have you ever sat through a session that's called Death by PowerPoint? <laughs> Anyone that's booked into one of those sessions from the department, I've just had a first look at their um, power, PowerPoint for those sessions and I advise everyone to go to those sessions because I think you'll get a lot of information you need, but it's 78 PowerPoint slides. Ooh, you still with us, Lisa? As as this episode is released, I will be at the first uh, session, which is being rolled out in Canberra at the at the Federal Department of Education itself. So, well, uh, have someone sitting next to you that can pinch you if you start to fall asleep. Exactly. Oh no, if you're if you're listening to this episode as soon as it's as soon as it's arrived in your feed on Friday morning, just spare a thought for me as I'm sitting. You know, with my colleagues, um, you know, desperately having our fourth shot of caffeine or something to to stay with it. Oh, they've started a frequently asked questions page. 
that's good. Do you like? Yeah, I like how you're live reading this document as we as we record the podcast. Later. So that's that would be <laughs> thrilling for our listeners. <laughs> So, Lisa, what are we going to be uh, talking about tonight? I think it might be great if you introduced our our main topic for the evening. Okay, so our main topic this evening is one that's a bit fraught for both you and I. It's about the role of men in the sector. Do we need more of them? Do we need more male educators? Do male educators get a hard time in the sector? Is this something that the sector should be advocating about? And it's come up for two reasons. Um, Firstly, because Liam uh, posted a wonderful article about this very issue on his blog a few weeks ago. A few weeks ago? Was it that long ago? Last week? I think it might have been only last week, actually. Last week, okay. Um, But also because there's been a bit of chatter about the topic on social media because of um, the, uh, sorry, I've forgotten the name of the conference. I think it's the Menu Conference. Menu Conference. And um, people have been, you know, talking about the issues raised at that conference. It's something we've never kind of really wanted to do before because, as Liam says in his article, he doesn't want to talk about this Um issue even though he's a male walking working in the sector and I don't particularly want to talk about it as a very outspoken feminist in the sector and someone that talks a lot about gender issues um I just prefer not to go there but we've both kind of decided that we should talk about it a bit so Lim can you just outline for people who haven't read yet read your wonderful article what it was what you were basically saying so the article for me was about answering uh or sort of publicly putting out there uh the answer to some questions i i, I get yeah, but not i wouldn't say regularly but often over the course of you know the last two to three years which to be asked to to write about or speak at events or, or sort of comment on uh, issues related to men in early childhood, and I've done, and I have done it before. I've written and spoken on those issues, you know, probably, um, you know, two to three years ago. I don't anymore, and I, and I probably, I, I, I can't remember, a, you know, a decision, a turning point where I just said, I just, I'm, I'm a bit sick and tired of talking about this, and I'm, and it's also not that I'm a bit tired of talking about it. I'm actually now at the point where I'm uncomfortable talking about it, and it probably took me a while to unpack that and reflect on it, and and come to some. Uh, realizations around why that was the case, and then once once that sort of crystallized for me, um, I I then decided this year to, to sort of actually write them down and publish them, and 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 a lot of the catalyst for that was what you mentioned, Lisa, is that I I just noticed there was a bit of a resurgence or a bit of a um, an uptick in the number of events and and advocacy issues that were being sort of um, that were being given some some airtime and some focus and some resourcing around the the issues facing men in early childhood and the general issues around men in in the sector. So, can you summarise, Liam, what you know, what your main <coughs> um, reasons why you don't want to speak about? So, I think the, the easiest way to summarise it is that uh, the by 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 its very definition. Um, advocating for men in early childhood uh sorry or no let's restart see i'm even having trouble talking about it which is why i had to write it down but the 
the the experience that the 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 uh, experience or or um, discrimination against men, which I acknowledge exists and is, as I put out in the article, is completely unacceptable and should be dealt with uh, by an organisation's HR policies. The discrimination against men, though, is can only be viewed in the early childhood sector in a wider, much wider, and much more damaging area of discrimination against women. So. I mean, in, in very broad summary, I can. My view is, I can no longer talk about. I can no longer narrow my view to that focus when I know, and I know for a fact, that that's not the biggest issue, and that uh, the discrimination experienced by men is a subset of a much wider discrimination against women. And I think anyone who comes to that realization would find it very difficult to devote. Um, what is limited advocacy time? And it's interesting, you know, since the article posted, you know, it didn't get a huge reaction. And I'm, I'm interested to see if people have read it or aren't, aren't sort of certain what's happening. But uh, some of the reaction has been, well, can't we can't we do everything? Um, and I don't know if it's just because I'm more bitter and cynical now, Lisa. And I actually, <laughs> the, I actually think, no, we actually can't. We all, we're all overworked. We all have incredibly, you know, you know demanding day jobs. Advocacy is is a time and a resource like everything else. And I, and I would argue, perhaps controversially, that advocacy for men in early childhood is not the best use of our advocacy time. I think I'd, I'd have to agree with you there. Why do you think, though, that it's becoming an issue now? Why do you think it's raised its head again now? Look, I... There's there's a couple of answers. I, I don't know the answer. Let's just let's put that out there straight away. I don't know exactly why. I, I I don't know whether it's become more of an issue or that it's just getting more attention. And I don't know if that's really the same thing. At the end of the day, I think the couple of things that occur to me are. I wonder if it's slightly a reaction against. So obviously, in the wider uh, society, in the wider culture. Um, that's sort of captured in, you know, that, that title Me Too, but I think it's a lot wider than that. There's been this just sort of sudden, there's been this social shift around uh, acknowledging the experience of, of women in a huge wide, a huge variety of sectors um, and, and different parts of our society from politics, entertainment uh, and, and workplaces. Now, Part of me thinks is that one of the, I think one of the reasons that the men in early childhood angle has always been kind of interesting, and 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 even now you'll occasionally see like pretty major national uh, media organisations run things. The ABC ran a pretty big story on it last year, I think. You know, Fairfax have done the thing. Is it? I can see why it's it's kind of attractive. So if you if you look at it at a really surface level, there's this kind of thing we can go, oh, this is like the reverse of what's happening to to women. In, in all these other things, look, there's so few men in the sector and they're getting discriminated again. So if you don't take a critical look at that assumption, you can sort of come into it and go, oh, this is an interesting story because it's like it's the exact reverse. And it's really not because well, and we'll probably get into that a little bit later. But I think that's one of the reasons is a reaction against this rise of um, female voices and female um, uh, experiences being highlighted in the now. I'm I'm in no way suggesting that men in the early childhood sector don't agree or don't support um, those movements. I actually think the majority of them do, but I wonder whether part of this is around men aren't getting enough airtime. Let's let's maybe raise this issue at this time. Yeah. Liam, I, I'd have to kind of agree with you on that one. I had an experience last week where I um, published a, an opinion piece in Fairfax Media and it was about the gender wage differences and the equal remuneration cases, etc. And for the first time, I, like, you know, 
generally when you're prepared to go and put your opinion out in national papers or um, anywhere like that, you get quite a bit of um, negative social media coming back at you because of it, because um, people have opinions about what you write and generally the sorts of things that I normally get are, you know, why can't um, children be looked after by their parents? I was looked after by my parents and I'm okay, you know, or early education, what education starts at school, why do you need to bring it earlier than that? And a whole heap of those kind of predictable things. So I'm fairly confident in just kind of skimming that and not reading the comments section. This time I got um, quite a bit of a kickback um, from or pushback from men in the sector. And it was presented in different ways and different men were uh, challenging, you know, different things about the article. Some were challenging the facts of the article, the accuracy of the article. And if they knew how much Fairfax checked stuff, they wouldn't have done that. <laughs> but um, other men were also, you know, um, they were just challenging it and saying, well, it's a really dumb thing to say that, um, you know, childcare is like engineering or childcare is like um, metalwork. You know, why on earth would the unions do this? But there was something in the nature of the of the feedback and the comments and the negative responses that felt quite different. A lot of it felt like I was being schooled for daring <laughs> to have an opinion as a woman. And that's the first time I felt that within this sector. And it was like, oh, okay, that's, we've changed. There's been a change here now. And I wonder if it's the more we talk about um, gender stuff in the sector, if sometimes some of the men in the sector do feel a bit threatened by that. I think it look I think it's possible Lisa I think these issues are really tricky and complex and I think uh <clears throat> there's a certain level of and what I want to make sure I do at some point in this chat is um I want to use some hard data and I want to use some hard research so I want to make sure this isn't just about me feeling you know a certain way or um as I'm sometimes accused of and have been recently of just you know attention seeking or or trying to make friends with other people um there's some hard data and research around this but the there is a certain although there is uh there is evidence of discrimination and and as I've said it's it's utterly unacceptable and it needs to be called out and highlighted but there is also privilege and uh there are positive things that can happen for men in the sector and I sort of highlight some of them really quickly uh, in the article, which is, you know, uh, pure things just as pure as recognition. Um, the, the, so being remembered, you know, going to a workshop, going to a seminar, men are far more likely to be remembered because there's likely to be far fewer of them. Uh, but men are also just, and particularly, you know, white blokes like myself are just conditioned from birth that it's okay to stand up, speak out. Anyone who's been to a body meeting with me knows that I have no issues with confidence in that area whatsoever. Uh, but that's, you know, <laughs> you, you may know what I'm talking about, Lisa. But, um, just slightly. Just slightly. <laughs> but, the, but that's, you know, that, that was permissed and allowed from birth, which is not the same thing that happens to the overwhelming majority 
of women. Uh, and there is plenty, plenty of evidence that men are overpromoted and, uh, and in, in terms of representation. I want to really quickly bring, just bring in an article from last year, which was one of the things that I think was almost like the final domino for me of just going, I can't this is it for me. I remember being really angry when this came out. This was an article uh, in The Guardian from September last year, which was about research by the Workplace Gender Equity Agency. Uh, and it showed that uh, female uh, full-time employees in the early education sector were paid on average 32% less than men in the same sector. And that's Whoa. more than twice <laughs> as much as the national gender pay gap. And that to me went ha- like that. that to me was... I don't know how we can we can know that is a fact and then still spend our valuable advocacy time, you know, having these discussions about men in early childhood. I, I get it. It's really tricky and complex. But I, I can't, as a man working in the sector who is benefiting, benefiting from exactly that statistic, I can't. I can't turn around and spend time advocating for that. And I probably even more critically, and probably I didn't spell out this enough in the article, I can't ask women in the sector to do that. And I, I don't know how anyone could, given that statistic, given what we know, there is so little representation of men in the sector, but they are overwhelmingly higher paid. And and it's hard to get specific statistics on this without doing a really you know, detailed analysis. But we know that although there's around 3 to 4% of representation of men in the, you know, the educator workforce, people working directly with children on a day-to-day basis, there is certainly not 3% in leadership roles in the sector, including, you know, CEOs, CFOs, COOs, board members. It is nowhere near 3%, and it's probably encroaching something more like 40 to 50%. Yeah. I've looked quite a bit at um, the major, you know, like peak bodies and large organisations, and there is a lot of men at the top of those organisations, and it's become... A lot. Yeah. More like that in the last five years or so. And one of the other things really quickly, so if you look at the article, you'll notice that the featured image or sort of the image that is the headline image of the article was very, very specifically chosen. And it is an image of uh, Senator Simon Birmingham, Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull, Social Services Minister Christian Porter, and uh, Ridiculous ACT Senator and I think Assistant Minister for Social Services Zed Sezelja. Now, in, uh, people who you know listen carefully to those names may be aware that th- 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 those four names have got something in common. Lisa, do you want to maybe let the listeners know uh, who those uh, oh, what four um, people have in common? Um, dangly bits. <laughs> exactly. They were all men. And in that particular photo I put up, they were announcing the changes, the, the, the changes to both the paid parental leave system, which, um, I mean, I hope this isn't a controversial statement, has a pretty primary impact on women in the sector because I think uh, we're fairly, science is fairly convinced now uh, women have the babies. So, you know, paid parental leave changes seem to, I think we can, you know, justifiably say, you know, largely affects women and uh, the and changes to the, the Jobs for Families package, which again uh, will affect 97% of the workforce that is women and, uh, and the interactions that the early childhood sector has with women returning to the workforce. These are, so... These are the biggest changes that can happen in these sectors in Australia. This is the highest level of government. This is the biggest decisions that can be made about the sector. And despite the fact there are 3% of men in the sector, 100% of the people making those decisions, making those announcements and making uh, the big changes to the sector were men. But that, you know, like you're surprised about that? Uh, no, but I, 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 that 
it is another it is another I think card in the deck on why it becomes very complex and I think challenging for people to have a narrow focus on advocacy with men given that and one of the challenges with this is I think is about you I think you have to be comfortable with thinking about things in context so you can have a narrow view of the experience of men and you can have you can also have the view and I know this is something you want to get to a bit later uh, Lisa you can have the view um, which I don't think is necessarily incorrect but uh, you can have the view that Raising the, you know, changing that uh, percentage split is a positive thing. So if we had more men in the sector, it would overall be a positive thing. Now, you can have that view, but uh, but there are complexities around that. And I think you have to be willing to engage with the complexities around that. So if we're saying that, we're saying that more men in the sector is a good thing just because they're men. Now, you can make you can make a diversity argument. And my argument would be that diversity of all kinds is good for the sector. But I do think that's... I think you have to be careful how that's worded because I think it would be very easy and understandable for women in the sector who have worked incredibly hard, who have Certificate 3, Diploma, uh, Bachelor, Master's qualifications to be going, well, it's, you know, that's great, but look, we've got a bloke over here who's just wandered off the street and, it, and that immediately improves the sector just by the fact he's here. I'm actually not comfortable with that and I would rather be judged on my skills and qualifications and experience such as they are. I can understand that. <clears throat> I think um, it's really hard, that argument about do we need more men in the sector? Because in one sense, of course, we do. Children need access to the difference that men um, bring. They need strong role models, etc., etc. I don't think anyone would argue with that. And they also need to see men in caring roles and I'd love it if they could see men in um, roles in organisations where the women were the boss and the men weren't always the boss because we know that children start to see men as the boss from as early as two and a half, three. So I think that that is all really important. But one of the things that I've always um, been interested on and spoken about in quite a few speeches is why, apart from the political reasons why um, early education and care is such a gendered sector, is it because for some women it's a very safe place to be? And is that necessarily something that we have to take away? Now, that's kind of like red rag to a bull stuff, <laughs> you know, but yeah. I think it's nice to have some parts of the world that are female dominated in a world that's generally male dominated. And I think it's no, it's not um, ununderstandable that it's in a world around childcare where children are cared for, that women flock because that has traditionally been women's roles for, you know, millennium. And I think that, you know, maybe there is some value in having a most, you know, a female dominant sector. Yeah, look, Lisa, I think that's fascinating. I remember 
uh, I'm going to get the year wrong. I think it might have been 2013 at a at a speaking event um, for what was then Community Childcare New South Wales. You 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 had a similar. Yeah, I think that might have been the speech you were one of the yeah, speeches you're referring to. Really challenged, Lisa. And I'm going to say you. Know, I don't think I'm qualified to 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 get into that hugely. I, I it's so outside of my realm of experience about you know feeling comfortable or not comfortable in our society. Society is set up for me. There there is no area of society where I don't feel comfortable. Uh, <sighs> I know it's. You've it's, got the skin colour. You got the dangly bits. I know. Yeah. yeah. You I, speak the white language. I'm doing the well. right language. Yeah. What, and, so my my thinking on that, Lisa, is you know it, it, it's it's fascinating, and I think I think there's an element of truth for it. What worries me slightly, and again coming at this as a as a straight white bloke, is that. I th- that if women are, are drawn to these kind of roles because they're traditionally viewed as women's work, where 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 the concern for me comes from that is that women's work is so so undervalued in every sense of the word. So one- I know, but but what's the response to that? I've heard some men say, "Well, if there was more men, then maybe the sector well, would be paid better." See, this and is. That's- I know and this is I know sorry I'm talking about because I get this is an argument that particularly infuriates me because what 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 I worry is that we so we have this issue which is men uh, if the sector is overwhelmingly uh, female dominated because it's viewed as women's work and women's work is undervalued now what we have somehow and this is almost unchallenged which kind of su- surprises me but we've almost convinced ourselves that the, the, the one of the best ways to fix that is to get more men into the sector who will role model you know men in caring um, roles which I actually absolutely think is really valuable and I would argue men shouldn't have to go into bloody early childhood sector to do that and it's not the early childhood sector's responsibility to fix that societal issue separate to that so the the idea is that through a process of I don't know subterfuge and osmosis, the men being in the sector, we slowly raise the we we, we you know the, these cycles of generational cycles will slowly improve just because men have been employed in early childhood sector roles. I don't think there's any actual evidence for that. But even if there was, that to me is ignoring the key issue of why don't we just bloody value the work that women have done in our com- in our community societies for hundreds of years and translate that into the modern sense, which is. All of those roles that, you know, and, and, you know, social and community services have had to go to fair work for a pay rise. Early childhood educators have, and it's been knocked back. This, why, why do we dance around with these crazy strategies to do it when the answer is actually society needs to take a hard, long look at itself and stop undervaluing this work? Because I tell you what, men will flock to the sector if it's well paid. Yes, they will. Yeah. <laughs> and if it's got more status and standing, because that's an important thing in the male yeah. world as well. Yeah. but I, And certainly being an early childhood educator isn't up there with being a politician. Yeah. So. Uh, no, absolutely not. And and that's a really important comparison to make, because coming back to something I said earlier, I think this, this issue is often viewed as a really simple, like a mirror or an inverse of the experience of women in male-dominated sectors. And it's really clear, it's really important for me that people understand that is not the case for a couple of reasons. So to use like an obvious example, um, you know, look at maybe the number of CEOs. So we know there's a really small percentage of female CEOs, both in Australia and internationally, just as there's a really small proportion of male educators. Now, those two uh, experiences, they, they cannot be linked and they cannot be related for a couple of really important reasons. One, although men may experience some discrimination and experience some some um, some othering, as it's, you know, in, in that technical term used by Robinson and Diaz in the sector particularly, uh, they do not experience that anywhere else, generally speaking, particularly if they're white uh, and particularly if they're sort of, you know, a middle class. They do not experience that anywhere else. Women experience it 
both in the workplace and in a huge range of other areas of society. That's one really important reason they cannot be linked and they cannot be accused of being the same thing. Uh, now, the other one is there is evidence to support this. And I, I mentioned I was going to do a bit of a research dump, but there's some fa fascinating research, particularly by uh, Jennifer Sumption, who's an Australian-based researcher, and also by Claire Cameron, who's a UK-based researcher, which talks about the, the privilege that men get from working in these uh, lowly represented male roles that are not that is not reflected in women. So uh, when that is not reflected in the experience of women. So women who go into a male dominated sector are not viewed as amazing and wonderful and quickly promoted up through the ladder, whereas there is evidence that men is. And the evidence, not only in the research, but also in that article I mentioned before, which is that the, the, the pay gap is so you know, alarmingly huge. And Jennifer Sumption has this great term in particular that I remember just affecting me when I first read it, which is called the glass escalator effect. So where, where women face a glass, um, a glass ceiling, men often, not always, but often get what's called the glass escalator, which is, you know, the, the, the ride up to the very top positions. So those two key things are, they're a really important part of me saying we cannot and it's really dangerous for someone to say, oh, this is like the inverse of that issue, or this is the mirror of that issue. They're really not, and it's a really, I think, disrespectful and uh, incorrect thing to say. Yep, I agree with you there. I think um, one of the things that we need to look at is the issue of sexism in the sector, because I don't think anything that we've said so far in this podcast denies the fact that some men are subject to, you know, quite strong sexism within the sector, both from managers and from fellow workers. And I think that um, that's something that should be addressed by the sector because just as we don't want to perpetuate um, gender stereotyping with children, we certainly don't want to do it with the adults that are caring for them what have you know do you agree with that lamb what sexism have you faced how do you think we can address it and look i'm always fairly uncomfortable talking about my own experience for, for a couple of reasons one, okay it's, you it's, don't well, have to well no but on. just just quickly one it's been largely positive and i and i put that down to the incredible teams i've worked with in, in my time in the sector um and i want to focus particularly on when i was an, a, an educator working face to face with children because those issues tend to disappear once you're in leadership and management roles where i've spent you know the last five to six years of my career which is actually not working you know directly with children anymore um the 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 I, I don't think we have time to get into a debate about the definition of the term sexism because I would have some critiques of that in this case, but there is absolute there there is absolutely evidence that discrimination takes place and and it it seems to be primarily in kind of two areas one which is the fairly blunt. Um, you know, suspicion of men working with young children uh, for a whole variety of reasons. I don't think we want to get into that because I think it's it, look, it is it's it's an unfair view. Um, men should be viewed as every other qualified or qualified person coming into the sector. Most states and territories have, you know, uh, reasonably good um, you know working with children checks in place, so they should be viewed in that sense in the way of every other educator, and there should be no discrimination on that basis. Um, the, the other trickier form of discrimination, I think, is the more sort of stereotypical discrimination, which is, you know, oh, Liam, can you, you, you can go and move all that furniture or you can go and, you know, get all the stuff out of the shed because you're a bloke. Um, now, whether that's 
sexism by uh, as a definition i think yeah, it's i don't know whether it's sexism but it's certainly gender yeah, stereotyping it's gender stereotyping which can be just as damaging look my view is that that yeah, i've said that and i said it really clearly in the article and i've said it, i think already twice in this podcast now because i really do not want my comments to be misinterpreted it is unacceptable but there are we have fair work legislation we have bullying and harassment policies procedures there are methods for those things to be to be sorted out. I, my, what worries me is that if that's happening, it needs to be sorted out. But what about the overall? Again, this is a context issue, so that's happening. But what about the wider context of the sexist attitudes towards women in our sector, which make this a low-paid, low-valued profession, which makes, which was why there is so few men in the sector. I don't. So we, in my view, we cannot have. It's about we. We have to have a broad focus. We can't narrowly focus on uh, these these issues. They, as I've said, they are they are unacceptable and need to be reported through uh, you know HR management channels. Um, and that is my absolute recommendation for any male educator listening to this who's experienced that. But it needs to be viewed as to there's a there are complex societal reasons for why that's the case and that the best way to resolve those issues is to advocate for you know greater equity um, in all areas of society for women that's actually the best way to solve a lot of these issues yay <laughs> i might have stumbled onto the last question there but that's and that's kind of what what how i sort of summarize the article of saying um my view would be, and I can only put forward my view, and it is why, you know, to go right back to the top is why I won't be speaking or advocating about these issues are, is because my view is my advocacy time is far better spent on, you know, being a strong feminist, um, if I'm allowed to apply that term to myself, uh, but and, and advocating for the role of things, for, for, for how we value women to change, because if we make that change, if we force society to go the way we have, the way the entire system is stacked for men and against women has is wrong and needs to change, all of this other stuff will change as well. So trying to, and there's some really interesting research by, um, I, I think an Australian academic called Peter Moss, who had a look at um, top-down strategies to raise uh, the numbers of men in the sector, particularly in Europe. Um, and it was sort of government-led. There was money coming in from the top. There was advertising the marketing, and they had almost no effect, uh, almost none. There was sort of one percentage point increases, and the evidence was it faded over time. It's because it's a symptom, not the problem. The, the low numbers of men in the sector are a symptom, not the actual problem. And we, we won't solve that problem until we resolve the symptom of how Women's work is undervalued. The caring work is intrinsically tied with women and should be equally shared in our society. Yay. Okay. I think we've um, possibly covered everything we could possibly cover in a short period of time about this issue. Do you agree? I think so. Look, and one of the things I... I wrote at the start of the article was I I know some of this will be misinterpreted and there will be women as well, but I imagine men listening to this going, um, he's completely wrong and and we need to resolve and it's completely unfair. I get it. I can't. I've I've articulated myself as well as I possibly can. Um, But my my challenge to to the men who are working in the sector is to, one, acknowledge where, where privilege has taken place, and I do that in the article, and that was you know not much fun to write, but to acknowledge that a large part of where I am today, which is being able to speak and talk and do a cool podcast with you and Leanne, is is in, is in some large part 
due to due to gender, and that's that's hard to acknowledge. That's hard to acknowledge that it isn't just about my skills and expertise, which uh, you know are really there are plenty of women who are far far better than me who aren't doing what I'm doing right now. Acknowledging the privilege is a huge challenge for people, but that needs to be done. But for me, it's about taking a broader view, taking a step back and seeing the experiences either I or my colleagues or how I feel about how my role in the sector is part of a broader issue. And the best way to solve that issue, because I want that issue solved too, I do not want men experiencing discrimination and disadvantage in the sector. But having, but only trying to fix that in a narrow focus actually won't solve the problems. What will solve it is, you know, taking a look across, you know, the incredibly hardworking uh, women, you know, in our staff room and in our, you know, in the classroom next door who face a lot more challenges than we do and actually saying, do you know what, I'm going to help you guys out. And that'll actually in the long run help us out as well. Yay. All right, welcome back. We're going to be uh, kicking on with the recommendations for this week. So, Lisa, what do you want to bring to the listeners? Look, I actually, after our interview with Verena last week, was that last week? That was last Verena week. Heron from the Independent Education Union, I went and read the Fair Work Commission, um, uh, their case, the outline of their case, um, the outline of their submissions. And if anyone has got the time, and I know it's a big, you know, like it's a long document, it's all just checking here, it's about 50 pages, I think. If you've got the time to do it, I would really suggest to people to have a read of it, especially if you're an early childhood teacher and want to learn more about the case, but also just for what it gives you an understanding of how much work goes into these cases from the union. Yeah. And I'm sure it was the same with AAU and the Miscellaneous Workers Union. Um, but also just some really, you know, fascinating insights into your sector when looked at somewhat slightly from the outside within the submission they have to give you know the judges who are you know totally outside of our sector maybe you know are blokes and have never been to an early childhood education service they have to give them an understanding of what the work conditions are like what the environment is like and how they've summarised it just in one small paragraph is the work of early childhood teachers in early childhood services is performed in an environment that is stressful and intense, noisy, requires dealing with human waste, confined, physically and emotionally demanding, professionally isolating and likely to lead to higher levels of illness. And when you hear that alone, you go, shit, yeah, all of that's true. No wonder early childhood teachers, no wonder educators deserve more pay. I was going to say, that's it's not a the... a really hard job. That's not the best job advertisement in the world, is it? If you saw that well, on Well, no, seat, I don't think you'd get many people to do no. that. No. <laughs> may want to hire a new uh, recruitment consultant on that one. <laughs> but I think, you know, like I was really shocked by the insight that gave me into... You know, when you actually objectively describe our work, that well, yeah. your work, I'm not a teacher, but that's what it is. Yeah, and look, not to sidetrack, because um, we'll do my recommendation and then wrap up quickly. Uh, 
when the for those who have long memories and and haven't buried this in the deep distant past when the early years quality fund was announced so this was the precursor to the long daycare professional development fund this was in the dying days of the uh, Rudd Gillard Rudd government I can't actually remember which prime minister was installed by then it's very hard to keep track um, Labor announced uh, that they would uh, basically fund wage professional wages for thirty percent of the sector now haven't got a time to go into my views on that. I've written an article, which I might link to, which had my deep concerns with how inequitable that was. But um, I was really fortunate to be there at the announcement and to hear Bill Shorten, who was the Workplace Relations Minister at the time, uh, talk about the experience of any highlighted women in the sector. And it was really interesting to talk to, to, and he used words to the effect of, and I'm going to have to paraphrase, I'd love to find the actual quote, but which is to say, we cannot continue to rely on the physical and emotional labour of the women in these roles to support the rest of society and not adequately remunerate them for them. And what I'd never really heard really clearly articulated, it was strange to hear a politician articulate something that I hadn't heard articulated as well in the sector before, was about how emotionally demanding these roles are. That So when I so taking that back to when we look at one of the issues that seems to have been uh, in play with uh, the AEU and United Voices Fair Work case is the comparison between the work of educators and people in uh, better work and construction. Now, my view is, and, and and when you were talking about, Lisa, the comments on your articles about how dare those two um, uh, you know, professions be connected, I actually agree with those comments because early childhood educators are about 10 times more important than meta workers because of the emotional labor that's involved in supporting other human beings to learn grow in those first you know three four five years of life that um you know you we wonder why early childhood educators and teachers go home tired when you when you spend you know a day after day emotionally supporting you know other small human beings uh it is an incredible amount we ask of people it is yeah um, my recommendation really quickly was Thank be, you, everyone who chooses to do Yes, it. you're all magnificent and wonderful. And um, my article, my recommendation would just be one I mentioned before because I think, look, it's, it's old, it's from September, um, but it is the uh, the study by the, 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 um, the Gender Equity uh, Agency which looks at the, the comparative pay rates of men and women in the sector. And, you know, that for me, if you, if you, if you can read that and not be angry about this, the state of things, I... Um, I, I take my hat off to you because um, you're obviously um, a bit less uh, cranky about it than I am. But, you know, for, for women particular, and it's interesting, I had an email conversation with someone emailed me after the article just saying, um, you know, you said some of the things I've been feeling for and I've always felt awkward about. She said, she said something like, I, I've always felt awkward about feeling awkward about men in the sector and, and advocating because I thought I had to. And I, and I emailed and I said, you know, what, you don't have to. And, and this was the sort of thing I was mentioning. I said, you know what, as, as a woman, I, I don't know how you would read that article and say that men, despite the fact they're so underrepresented, are drastically overpaid. I don't know how you could read that article and not be furious and, um, you know, giving the advocacy of blokes a rest for a while. Um, no one requires my permission for anything, but uh, you, you, you have it for me to ignore that for a little while <laughs> until that stuff's sorted out. Phew, I was worried I had to take that up and it's yet another <laughs> thing I had to advocate for. <laughs> You're fine, Lisa. But um, <laughs> that's it for another episode. I, I enjoyed that discussion, Lisa. Thanks for, thanks for leading, leading that chat. No problems. But, Thank um, you. We'll be back. Uh, Thanks for writing that article which oh, precipitated it. Oh, a, a pleasure. But we'll be back uh, next week with another episode. We might have a bit of a wrap-up of um, the Department of Education session. Maybe I could boringly go through every one of the 72 slides. 
Liam, live I'm on the podcast sick next week. No, no, no. You got no. I'm, sick no, sorry. Next week. I'm not accepting any um, sick, sick notices. Sorry. So yeah, we'll, we'll we'll see you next week for that, Lisa. Aww. Looking forward to it. Bye, everyone. Bye, bye. <laughs> you have been listening to the Early Education Show, hosted by Lisa Bryant, Leanne Gibbs, and Liam McNicholas, and produced by Liam McNicholas. Find us online at earlyeducationshow.com. And while you're there, it would be great if you could hit the Support the Show tab where you can become a patron of the show and support us for as little as $1 a month. We really appreciate it. Get in touch with us at earlyedushow at gmail.com or on Facebook and Twitter with the username earlyedushow. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and review on the Apple Podcast Store. This really helps other people find the show. See you next time.